All right. Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Growing up, uh, I remember, especially when I was young, I always wanted to be older. Uh, always wanted to be just kind of in that next season of life, that next age range. Uh, and I know we've got a lot of kids in here this morning. Kids, uh, any kids in here want to be older? Like, do you wish you were older, kids, or are you just you pretty good at the age you're at? Okay, they're, they're pretty good. I think they're content. Oh, we got some people that want to be older. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm not alone. Uh, but but I, I wanted to be older because it seemed like that when you got older, you got to do some more things, right? You got to stay up later. You maybe got to stay outside longer. You got to go with friends to different places. Uh, and it just, I always wanted to be a bit older. And one of the cool things about growing up is that you get to start ordering uh, off of the adult menu at restaurants. I mean, the first few years of life, you are sort of led to believe that all restaurants only serve chicken nuggets and corn dogs. And uh, you don't have time to even process like what's that you're being duped and uh, because you get distracted so easily with crayons and coloring books and tic-tac-toe games at the restaurant. But then at some point in your maturing, some point in your growing up process, uh, they don't hand you the kids menu any longer, but they hand you the adult menu. And lo and behold, on the real menu, you see that this restaurant you've been going to for years, it serves steak. Steak. And your first bite of that steak is just so glorious. As you chew it and savor it, and you're like, where has this been my whole life? Now, kids, your parents do love you, okay? And they're not just trying to be cruel to you and hold out on you by giving you the kids' menu at restaurants. You see, many of you are, in fact, not ready for steak, You're not ready for the steak knife, at least, all right? You're not ready to be able to handle it and to cut into it and to not not maybe even developed enough to really chew it up enough well to where you can swallow it and digest it and enjoy it and savor it. But when you are, when you are old enough, I'm telling you, it is a glorious thing. Now that, now that longing, that longing to be older, that longing to grow up, that is a desire, that, that is a good God-given desire, okay? Now it certainly can become unhealthy if you're so preoccupied with your future that you don't, you're not actually present and really living in the, 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 the present, okay? But nonetheless, that is a good desire that God gives, a desire to grow up and to mature in Christ. And there is much joy to be had in growing up. In fact, a lot of pain and unhealthiness of life is when that growing up is stunted, when growth doesn't happen, right? When people stop growing, when people stop maturing, there's a sign that something isn't right there. Something is unhealthy. And I think even if you don't have a medical background, you know this, right? If a grown man is ordering off the kid's menu, something has gone wrong, right? Something is not right there. And where we're at right now in the book of Hebrews is that our author is in the middle of introducing us to this glorious concept that Jesus is our great high priest. And we learned last week that he is our great gentle high priest. 
And he's after the order of Melchizedek. And now in verse 11, our author is going to take a break from all this priesthood talk and all this order of Melchizedek talk, which he's going to get to more. We're going to pick back up in chapter 7 of Hebrews. But he breaks, he takes a, a, a pause, an interrupted break in his argument because he's concerned that the recipients of this haven't grown up enough yet to really enjoy it. He's about to give them some steak, and it's coming in Hebrews 7. The steak is coming, but he's not quite sure if they're ready for it. This teaching about the priesthood of Jesus, this teaching about Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek, that's the stake that is coming. But he's not quite sure if they're going to be able to handle it, if they're going to be able to chew on it and swallow it and really digest it. But the problem is, is that they should be. They should be able to handle it, but they don't. And so he's going to go into a loving rebuke. And therefore, that's where we're going this morning. I'm concerned that many of you haven't grown up enough yet to really enjoy what the rest of Hebrews has to offer us. But take heart, take heart. Don't, don't be afraid of getting a little, a little gentle rebuke this morning, okay? It's going to be okay. We know from the Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, which we'll have up on the screen, We know the Proverbs say, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Church, the father loves you. The father delights in you. And therefore, I pray that he will use me this morning to call out your childishness and your immaturity and show you the joy that is to be had in growing up in Christ. So let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help in this endeavor. Father God, this is your word. And Lord, sometimes your word, it does, it cuts deep to the heart. It it hurts at times. It challenges us. It rebukes us. And Father, I'll I'll, I'll be honest. It's, it's, It's not these aren't the verses I naturally want to go to first. But we believe that this is your word, and this is profitable. And this is going to do a great work on our hearts that we need. We might not always want this, Lord, but we know we need this. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give me the right, the right tone, the right posture to present your truth and your correction in a loving and a gentle way. And yet I ask that you, Lord, you would give us hearts to receive this, ears to hear this, that we might be transformed by you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 5, verse 11. Here we go. Hebrews 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Verse 11, again, he's referencing the priesthood of Christ, which we will see more about in chapter 7. And our author says that about this whole priesthood of Christ thing, it is difficult to explain. Now, why is it difficult to explain? Is it because he doesn't know how to explain it? Is it because he lost his notes on the subject and just feels a bit unprepared? No, it's because the recipients have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. That word dull means sluggish. It means negligent. 
It means lazy. They've developed a disease called sluggishness of the ears. That's not a real medical diagnosis, but it is a spiritual one. They have sluggishness of the ears. To be dull, think of it this way, to be dull, it's the opposite of being diligent. And here the source of the problem is diagnosed. Why aren't the recipients experiencing the joy of growing up, growing up in Christ? Why aren't they ready to handle the stake and the teaching about the priesthood of Christ? Is it because they're in the midst of a viral pandemic? Is it because they have a lack of resources? Is it because they haven't heard enough sermons or they haven't read enough books or they don't have access to enough information or education? Is that the problem? No. It's that the recipients of this letter have not been listening to sound, to the sound teaching of God's word diligently. Diligently. They've been sluggish in their listening. And therefore their growth and their maturity has been stunted and they are not experiencing the joy of growing up. And how do we know this? We'll, we'll look back at the passage. How does this reveal itself in the life of the congregation? Look back at verse 12. He writes, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Now make no mistake, he is calling them out. This is a call out. He's saying, hey, how, how many years have you been a Christian? How many sermons have you listened to? You should be teachers by now. You ought to be city group leaders by now. You ought to be elders or deacons by now. You ought to be teaching by now. But instead, you've gotten comfortable in your lazy listening. You've gotten comfortable in your spiritual immaturity. You've gotten comfortable eating off the kid's menu. It's what you know, right? It's, it's kind of your go-to. It's your safe place, right? You kind of know what's coming and what to order. But as a result, your growth has been stunted. Your growth has been stunted. Followers of Jesus, we cannot be comfortable with being lazy listeners of God's word. We cannot do it. Followers of Jesus, we cannot be comfortable with being lazy listeners of God's word. But instead, we must see the joy that is to be had in being diligent learners. All right? We need to repent of being lazy listeners, and we need to ask the Lord to help us be diligent learners. Followers of Jesus should be diligent learners. One of the Puritans, Richard Baxter, he once wrote this. We'll have the quote up on the screen. He says, Make it your work with diligence to apply the word as you are hearing it. Cast not all upon the minister. Amen. Amen. All the pastors said amen. Cast not all upon the minister as those will go no further than they are carried as by force. You have work to do as well as the preacher and should all the time be as busy as he. You must open your mouths and digest it, for another cannot digest it for you. Amen. 
Church, as we hear God's word, whether it be here on a Sunday morning through the preaching or reading of Scripture, whether it be as you read God's Word on your own, which I hope that you are, I know many of you are, whether it be reading as a city group, you know, reading God's Word, discussing it together, whether it be hearing God's Word through books or podcasts or anything like that, you have to come to the Word diligently, ready to work at internalizing it, applying it, letting it nourish every part of your being, and then being ready to go teach it to others. Too many Christians, we have grown comfortable, right? We've grown comfortable in just being like baby birds, and we expect our pastors to kind of chew up the food for us and then drop it into our mouths. I don't want to do that. That's, that's, first of all, it's gross. It's kind of weird. I, I would much rather be on the, the giving end of that than the receiving end, nonetheless. But no church. Here's the thing. Many of you, you probably do have a desire to grow up in Christ. You, you do. I think many of you do. You long for the joy of knowing him more deeply and maturing in your faith. The craving is there. But here's the truth. The truth is that it will never be satisfied if you are lazy at listening to God's word instead of being diligent. Now, why can I say that? I can say that because Proverbs 13, verse 4. Proverbs 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. My question for you is, do you listen like a sluggard? The craving is there, but you are listening. You are a lazy listener. Or do you listen diligently, diligently? And you might be thinking, well, how do I listen diligently? All right, and this is going to be one of the things we talk about in our city groups coming up this, this week, okay? Uh, so, so come to city group ready to share and, and how you listen to the diligently and hear from one another how we can be listening to God's word more diligently. But what's interesting about this passage is that the reason they know, the reason we know that they are dull of hearing is also one of the solutions to help, in, help their dullness of hearing uh, uh, be corrected. And it comes in the phrase when he says they ought to be teachers. It's showing us a problem, but it's also giving us a hint at one of the solutions to be able to listen to God's word diligently. And it's the same truth that's true for you and me. Every disciple of Jesus should be both a student and a teacher. You are a student and a teacher. Followers of Jesus Christ should always continually be learning, but they should also continually be teaching. Now, that's not to say that everyone in here is called to be a pastor. I'm not saying that everyone's called to preach. I'm not saying everyone needs to start a class, a room full of people that they're teaching. No, not at all. But all disciples of Christ are called to teach in some context. Parents are called to teach their kids. Older women are called to teach younger women. Men are to train up other men who can teach and proclaim God's word. Maybe in your situation, maybe maybe there's only one other person that you're supposed to be teaching right now. Maybe you're supposed to teach a a neighbor or a friend or a family member or a co-worker. But if you are a disciple of Christ, you ought to be teaching. 
You might be thinking, okay, I'm supposed to be a student, supposed to be a teacher, but how does this solve the problem of how comfortable I've gotten with my lazy listening? Well, have you noticed how much more diligently you listen to something when you know you're going to have to go out and teach it? For example, if a church down the road needed you to come preach at 1 p.m. on Hebrews 5, I imagine you'd be leaning in a bit more to this sermon. Uh, Pastor Kevin and I, we took a uh, seminary class on Hebrews this last summer, and when we started the class, we weren't quite sure yet if we were going to be preaching through Hebrews as a, as a church. Now, don't get me wrong, when the class started, I was listening. I was paying attention. I was taking notes. I was there, right? But when we decided that we were going to preach through Hebrews, I mean, all of a sudden, it was like, okay, all right, locked in, slow down, professor, because I knew that I was going to have to take some of these passages and try to teach them to other people. And so when you hear God's word, if you are a disciple of Christ, you should be listening both as a student and as a teacher. Yes, you should be listening for your own edification, but you should also be listening for the edification of others. You should be listening to God's word in a way of thinking, hey, how does this apply to me? How can I internalize it? How can this nourish my soul? How can this transform my heart? But then you also need to be listening to, hey, how can I communicate this to my kids? How can I communicate this to my family? How can I communicate this to my neighbors and my coworkers? You see, church, yes, we teach you God's word for your own edification, but also so that you would be equipped to go teach this to others. When I'm preparing to preach, I'm thinking about edification. How am I going to edify you? I'm also thinking, how am I equipping you? And you need to be listening in the same matter. An immature Christian sees what's happening right now as being only for them. All right, so if you're an immature Christian, you walk into this morning seeing that this is only for you, right? Like you're at the center and we're all kind of rotating around. All this is for you. And you've become comfortable with that. I, I mean, part of the beauty when we gather at 945 with some of the people that, that are gathered here early to serve and to pray for these gatherings, part of what's happening there is we're reminding one another, hey, this is not all about you. Yes, we hope you are edified in this, but this is not all about you. There is much joy to be had, and yes, seeing this as edifying us, but also equipping us to go teach this truth to others. If you are a follower of Jesus, and if you are growing up in your faith, you need to continually see yourself as a student and as a teacher. My question for you is, who are you teaching? Who are you teaching? And I'm not trying to guilt anyone into that they don't have a, a, a big class they're teaching. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there's, there's probably one person in your life, maybe, that you're supposed to be teaching. Who are you teaching? And are you listening to God's word in a way that you are preparing yourself to teach someone else? Now listen, eating off the kid's menu... It's maybe the easiest thing, it's maybe the most comfortable thing, but it's not going to give us the lasting nourishment that we are going to need to be able to discern between good and evil. It's not going to give us the, 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 the nourishment we need for war, for spiritual warfare. Look, look back at verse 14, Hebrews 5 verse 14. 
We're going to need more than just a clear liquid diet. Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay, listen. A liquid diet is good when you are really young, really old, or really sick. Okay? A liquid diet is good when you are really young, really old, or really sick, but it's not going to give you the nourishment you need to discern from good and between good and evil, between what's right and what's almost right. But if you want to grow into a godly man or a godly woman, you can't always just guzzle the truth of God's word down. You're going to have to need to cut into it and to chew on it and to savor it, and to swallow it, to digest it, and to allow it nourish every part of your being. You see, one of the joys in growing up in Christ is that your ability to discern between good and evil, it gets better and better. It, gets, it should be getting stronger and stronger the more you can chew on and are nourished by God's word. Now, some people, some people in the church do have the spiritual gift of discernment. And that is such a good gift that God gives to his people, that we have people with the spiritual gift of discernment. And they need to help the rest of us come along the way. But all people, even if you're not spiritually gifted in discernment, all people should be working on their discernment muscles. They should be strengthening it. They should be nourished by God's word enough that their gift, that their ability to discern should be getting stronger and stronger. I mean, think about this. Uh, people, when they go to a, a, a doctor or a medical provider, right, they go oftentimes with the question of just like, hey, should I be concerned about this, right? And usually then it's like lifting up their, their shirt or their sleeve or something. Should I be concerned about this? There's maybe a weird skin lesion or mole or something like that. They just want to know if they need to be concerned. Now, a new doctor, someone right out of residency, right out of school, they're going to maybe look at it closely, think about it, maybe get a second opinion, maybe go look at some pictures, maybe biopsy it before they give them any official word. But a mature and an experienced doctor can come right in and say, oh yeah, that's skin cancer. You should, we should take that out. Or no, like, don't worry about it. That's just like a piece of food stuck to your skin. Get out of here. An immature Christian, in the same way, an immature Christian looks at all the teaching and all the books and all the articles that surround them, and they're not really sure what is good and what is bad, what is of God and what is of the enemy. But someone who is growing up in Christ, who is digging into and diligently consuming God's word, can over time, with more and more confidence, say, that is good and that is evil. That, that is that is right, and that is almost right. That is passing away. This is what's lasting. And you see, the reason that we have many Christians right now who are having a real difficulty discerning good and evil in the times that we live in is because we have not diligently studied and really chewed on God's word and let it have an effect and nourish every part of our being. And therefore, we are undernourished. Our growth has been stunted. Our discernment muscle has atrophied. 
And as a result, we don't have what we need when we are called upon to discern between good and evil or what's right and what's almost right. The happy, clappy, milk-drinking church was not ready for 2020 and 2021 and all that we would have to discern. We need God's word. We need to cut into it. We need to chew on it. We need to savor it. We need to swallow it. We need to digest it. We need it to nourish every part of our being so that our discernment muscle can be trained and strengthened. Trained and strengthened. Well, what is, what is digging into the stake of God's word look like? I mean, does it mean that we all go to seminary? Is that what I'm proposing? Not necessarily, Okay. Uh, Indianapolis Theological Seminary, I'll give a quick plug, new seminary in Indianapolis that we would align with theologically has very like cheap uh, uh, prices per credit hour. You can audit a class for half the price. LifePoint hosts some of the classes, all right? So maybe some of us do need more seminary, but I don't think that necessarily we all need seminary. But what does digging into the stake of God's work like? Does it mean that we just consume as much Bible and theology books as humanly possible? Does it mean that we only study and think about the real deep, complex theological issues? In order for us to have joy in growing up in Christ, we need to understand what this looks like and whose power is driving this growth process. So look with me back at Hebrews 6, because we're about to see. Hebrews 6. We're about to see what this looks like. Hebrews 6, verse 1, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. It sounds a bit, a bit heretical, but we'll come back to that. And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, what we have to understand first is that the author here is not telling us to leave the doctrine of Christ in the sense of moving on from him, okay? That's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying like, hey, I know when you first became a Christian, you heard the gospel. You heard the good news that God saves sinners. You heard that this salvation was accomplished by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, who lived the life of obedience you failed to live, who died a death on a cross that you and your sin deserve to die, and who rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death, so that by God's grace, through faith in him, you might experience forgiveness of sins and be restored to a right relationship with God. He's not saying like, hey, all that, yeah, been there, done that, let's move on to something else. That's not what he's saying. I would put a big false on that. That is not what he's saying. He's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation. Jesus is the foundation, not that we pour and then move on from to other foundations but that he is the foundation we build everything else upon. Right? Just, just like we sang earlier, and we're going to sing that song again at the end. Jesus, our firm foundation. You know, when we sing that, that is a declaration of who our foundation is. It's a reminding us that he is our foundation, and it's us collectively coming together and saying, Jesus is our foundation. 
Conservative politics are not our foundation. Personal freedoms are not our foundation. Capitalism is not our foundation. Now, I'm not saying I'm against any of those, but those are not our foundation. But you can tell whose foundations they were this past week. We come together and we sing, Jesus is our foundation. And to leave him is not to move on from him, but it is to build upon him. It's not a lateral leaving, it's a vertical leaving. The language of let us leave the elementary doctrine is not to pour another foundation. He's saying don't move on from it. Like now let's go over to another foundation and see what that's all about. And that one over there. This leaving, it's not talking about a moving out away from him. It's talking about a moving up. Building upon the foundation that has been poured. And our author here, he's, remember he's writing to a group of believers many of whom had a Jewish background. And when they came to faith in Christ, they, they were taught certain things about Christianity. They were catechized. They were, they were brought into this Christian community. And these six things that we see in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 6 that are listed, these, these six things are really listed in three different couplets. And these were likely what the early church used to teach Jewish converts about Christianity. All right, these were the, the, the foundations of following Jesus. Many of these Jewish converts, you know, this was sort of their, uh, their, their foundations class that they went through to really understand Christianity. And so in it, we can kind of see what the early Christians first learned. What's that first couplet say? It says they learned about repentance and faith. They were taught to not only repent and turn from their sin, but also to repent from trusting in their own good works, which are described as dead works here. Uh, they're not to, 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 to trust in them for salvation, but no, they're to turn from those things, to repent. And then they were taught about faith. They were taught what it means to really trust, rely, and depend upon Christ alone for salvation. Okay, and so an early Christian convert was taught a proper soteriology or a doctrine of salvation. That's what we see in this first couplet here, repentance and faith. They were taught about the doctrine of salvation. Then in the second couplet, we see instruction about laying on of hands and about washings or some translated baptisms, plural. Right? Laying on of hands was oftentimes a symbolized uh, uh, people being commissioned, uh, people being prayed over for a certain task. Uh, it was often laying on of hands was, was when uh, people first were receiving the Holy Spirit. But then there's instruction about washings or baptisms. Why was that necessary? Well, many of these Christians had been baptized multiple times. And it's not because they kept walking the aisle uh, every time the preacher preached a good sermon. All right, that's not why they had been baptized multiple times. You see, they lived in a time of history where they could have legitimately experienced multiple baptisms. They first could have experienced baptisms and washings in Judaism. Then John the Baptist comes along and has a baptism of repentance that many of them probably participated in. And then Jesus comes along and they were likely baptized as a follower of Jesus. And so these specific recipients could have legitimately have been baptized a bunch. 
And therefore, the early church had to teach them some of these foundational teachings, a proper understanding of baptisms and the laying on of hands. And that baptisms and the laying on of hands were all pointing to the coming of the new covenant when Jesus would baptize his people with the Holy Spirit. And now the church baptizes people, they baptize followers of Jesus to proclaim the inner baptism that they have already experienced. And so we see in this second couplet, this teaching about washings and the laying on of hands, we see that this was giving the early Christians a proper understanding of pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And then in the third couplet, we see that there was teaching about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this helped people to see that all they had learned about in the Old Testament, about resurrection and about judgment, was ultimately centered on and fulfilled by Christ. They learned about how Jesus is the resurrection and how one day all of us will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so in this third couplet, we see this gave early Christians a proper understanding of eschatology, a doctrine of the last things. Okay, so this was, this was a pretty good foundations class, right? I mean, they, they learned Christology, they learned soteriology, they learned pneumatology, they learned eschatology. Man, good, good class, good class. But is our author telling us to leave these elementary doctrines, to move on from them? No. He is telling us to leave them. I guess I'm trying to say not in the sense of move on from them, but we build upon them. So it's not that a mature believer no longer talks about Christ or salvation or the Holy Spirit or the last things. It's that someone who is growing up and maturing is building upon those things. Someone who's maturing says, you know, hey, in light of Christ, giving up himself for his body, the church. What does that mean for my stewardship? What does that mean for my sacrificial giving of my time and my money and my gifts to the church? What does that mean? That, that, that's what it means to build upon these foundational truths, right? Like, hey, if Christ has adopted me into God's family, and if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, and I have spiritual gifts, what does that mean for my identity and my purpose in life? Hey, if Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead, what does that mean for my evangelism? What does that mean for how I interact with my community and how I go out to bless the city and the world? You see, church, we do not move on from the foundations of our faith, but we do build upon them. And then there's something else really interesting happening in this passage. And we need to hear this just as much as the early Jewish Christians needed to hear this. Because what was happening was that these early Christians, as well as us, what they were doing was that they were romanticizing when they first came to Christ or when they really first started to grow in Christ. And by doing so, they were failing to build upon that foundation. I mean, many of them, when they first came to Christ, like many of us, they experienced this newfound joy and this newfound peace and this newfound fellowship, right? It's, it's sometimes at first, it is sunshine and butterflies. But then what was happening to these people is they started to experience persecution. 
And the author of Hebrews knows that more persecution is coming. They're going to continue to experience it. But they had had such fond memories of when the foundation was poured that they couldn't see that they were supposed to be building on that foundation right here, right now. Back in college, uh, I was a Christian from, from a young age, but in college, that was a, a, a time where I really grew deeper in my faith. I had roommates that loved Jesus. I had hallmates that loved Jesus. And uh, uh, many times we'd have Bible studies of 10 to 20 guys in the dorm, staying up late at night, talking about Jesus, asking one another questions, talking about life. Many of those guys right now preaching somewhere in the world this morning, most of them all following Jesus still. And I love those times. Those were sweet times. I, I grew so much in my faith. And then in college, got married to Brit. We graduated college. We, we, we left college. We joined a church. Got plugged in. And I was like, okay, wh where are the 10 or 20 guys that are going to stay up late with me to talk about Jesus? I was looking for them looking for him. Finally, I realized, oh, they're not here. This church must not really understand what true community looks like. I'm going to help them, right? That's kind of my attitude, right? Right When you're right out of college, it's like, man, I'm going to take back the church for Jesus, right? Uh, the Lord knew I needed some years before uh, uh, standing in a pulpit like this, right? And after a while, started to get frustrated and disappointed that I couldn't recreate what I had in college with that group of people. Now, something cool did form there, right? We were introduced to other married couples. We were introduced to the oldest couple in the church, Devin and Carly, uh, which this was over 10 years ago. They were old back then, so I don't know what that means for them now. But, right, we started developing, okay, now we were with married couples, and that was good. We started growing, and, and we had something there. But if I kept trying to recreate what I had in college, I would have continually been frustrated. People would have been hurt. It wouldn't have gone well. Now, now why do I share that? I share that because what our author here is referencing and what, a, what the original recipients would have heard when they're hearing these things about repentance and the, the instruction on washings and all these things, this is reminding the recipients of when they first came to faith. That, that new believer moment, that time when they first really grew in their faith. And he's telling them that to stay there or to try to recreate now what you had then, that is a sign of immaturity and your growth is being stunted. Now, he's not telling them to leave it behind or move on from it. He's telling them to build upon it. You see, an immature follower of Jesus romanticizes their past so much that they are paralyzed in the present. An immature follower of Jesus romanticizes their past so much that they are paralyzed in the present. The past, I'm telling you, the past always seems better because you are not there to mess it up right now, right? It's always better. Like, an immature follower of Jesus romanticizes the past so much that they are paralyzed in the present. A mature follower of Jesus builds upon that past in the present, looking to the future. And so here's a direct application point for us. Every single one of us, all right? This is a still a fairly new church plant. No one in here can say they've been here for 10 or 20 years or anything like that, right? This is, this is still fairly new. And we all come into it with different church backgrounds, some good, some bad. We all have different church experiences, 
And listen, I say this first to myself, then to our other elders, then to our other leaders, then to all of you. Do not try to recreate here what you had somewhere in the past. It won't work. It's not even supposed to work. Like, yes, we can all look back to past experiences. We can learn from those. We can see what worked, what didn't work. We can take wisdom from those past experiences and use that wisdom as we build here. But you see, there's a temptation for every believer to romanticize either when they first came to Christ or when they first really grew up in Christ because everything seemed just more simpler there. Things were less complex. It seemed like the Spirit was working so much quicker and so much stronger. But to romanticize your past so much that it paralyzes you in the present is a sign of immaturity that has to be repented and turned from. A mature follower of Jesus builds upon that past in the present, looking to the future. So don't be afraid to build. Don't be afraid to build upon that foundation of faith that you already possess. Yes, have a firm grasp on the foundational truths, but go on and study biblical theology. Learn how God has progressively revealed himself throughout history. Yes, have a grasp on the foundational truths, but go on and learn systematic theology and how all of what scripture says on a certain topic don't be afraid to grow in your understanding of ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. Go on and study the attributes of God. Look into church history. Get trained in apologetics. Learn hermeneutics and how to interpret God's word. Go on and study how to offer biblical counsel to people. Get your evangelistic approach figured out. Do not be content to eat off the kid's menu that you are comfortable with. There is joy to be had in growing up in Christ. Church, let us always preach Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. And let us never move on from that. But may he be our firm foundation that everything else is built upon. We have been given such a great work to do right here, right now. We are planting a church in the city of Franklin, in the year 2021 that desires to behold God, to build up the body of Christ, and to bless the city and the world. So let us not live in the past, but let us take that past work into the, that wisdom from that past work, let's take it into the present to build right here, right now, upon the firm foundation that has been laid. And I'll close with this. Look at, look at verse 3. Chapter 6, verse 3. Don't miss this. Because I don't want you to miss whose power this is that is going to enable us to be diligent listeners, diligent discerners, and to build upon the foundation that has been laid. In chapter 6, verse 3, God's word says, and this we will do if God permits. 
I love that in a passage with such a strong exhortation that is encouraging us to grow up in Christ, to be diligent in our learning and in our discerning, to dig into God's word and to build upon the foundation of Christ. He reminds us that we will do this if God permits. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, by whose power these things will be done. Verse 3 should absolutely humble us and keep us reliant on God's power and not our own. Verse 3 should humble us and keep us from ever becoming boastful or prideful as we grow up in Christ because we are reminded by whose power we do these things. And verse 1 hints at this as well. Look back at chapter 6, verse 1. When he says, let us go on to maturity, that phrase, go on, it's written in the passive tense and could be more literally translated, let us be carried on. We do not carry ourselves onto maturity. We have human responsibility. We need to not be lazy listeners. We need to be diligent learners. We need to exercise our muscles of discernment. We need to dig into God's word. But we do not carry ourselves onto maturity, but instead we are carried onto maturity by Christ. And we can rest in that. We can hope in that. We can take confidence in that. We can have a grace-driven effort as we leave here with that. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and pray with me. Worship team, you guys can come back up. But church, you need to know that the Father loves you and delights in you. And he knows that it is for your own good and for his glory that you would grow up. And this morning, some of you need to repent of being lazy listeners. Spirit, we ask that you would convict those of us that need to be convicted of being lazy listeners. After you confess that, thank God for the forgiveness that he offers you through the personal work of Jesus Christ. And then ask God to carry you on to become diligent in your learning and discerning. Ask for his power. Trust, rest, rely on his power to become diligent in your learning and discerning. Some of you right now, you need to repent of your fear of teaching other people God's word. Spirit, we ask that you would bring to mind one other person that we are supposed to teach your word to. And then I want you to ask God to carry you on to be teachers of his word in whatever context he might lead you to. Some of you need to repent of only believing and thinking about the foundations of the faith. And you need to ask God to carry you on to see how every single aspect of your life should be affected and transformed by these foundational truths. Lord, show us how to build upon the firm foundation we have. 
Some of you need to repent of romanticizing about when you first came to Christ or when you first started really growing in Christ. And you need to ask God to carry you on to see how you should be building upon that past right now in the present. Father God, surely there is much joy to be had in growing up in Christ. And this we will do if you permit. We love you. We trust you. Give us a joy in you. Help us worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray all this 